Hi, my name's Noreen Jamil, and this is... Emily Kate Stevens. Both of us have been diagnosed with long COVID. And we've created this podcast dedicated to the condition. Welcome to the Long COVID Sessions. So, Emily. Hi. My dear, how was your week? Um, well, I actually had a, a good run of 10 days where I felt vaguely normal. I felt okay. And then I had a big crash. But uh, that was the longest period of feeling okay that I've had literally since March. So It's bittersweet. Isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's bittersweet. But I'm okay. Do you have a thing with temperature? I'm so cold all the time. I've never needed to wear so many clothes and I'm just absolutely freezing the entire time. Well, the last few days I've been really cold, but it has been really cold. But uh, at night, my limbs are burning. Really? And I can't sleep. Yeah. Restless legs, burning hands and feet. And it's I just haven't been able to sleep for a good two, three weeks now. And then and how are your um other symptoms? Like how's your heart feeling? I'm quite breathless, but I actually think it's my asthma this time. Because my I've been taking my inhaler and it's been helping. Do they correlate? Are they connected? Because I definitely when I feel like the inflammation going through my body with the long COVID, I definitely then get the inflammation in my eczema as well. So it coincides with the symptom flare ups. Does it with the asthma? Could be, but I tend to find the cold really sets my asthma off. And I don't get the typical wheezing all the time. I get quite a tight chest. Yeah. But I've had chest pain, which has been long COVID. And it's funny because you you have this pain. And it's obviously not good because <laughs> no pain is good, but it's your heart and you know it's your heart, but you know there's nothing anyone can give you. You know there's no point going to see a doctor. So you just kind of ride it out. Yeah. I mean, what a horrible position to be in. Yeah, it really is, isn't it? You just, okay, well, I just have to live with it. Yeah. It's not fun. 10 days of good health is awesome. Yeah. Just rolling with it. Just got to take the good days and the bad my um dizziness has come back this week i haven't had it for a few months and i assume it's pots so because we read a lot and talk a lot to to people i i read somewhere that you drink a lot of water and you clench your buttocks yeah i love this advice (laughs) you actually sent me this advice by text when i was actually seeing stars i've got my dizziness back as well but actually that dizziness where you see stars i don't know what it is the little pricks of light yeah I couldn't quite focus on clenching my buttocks and drinking lots of water whilst I was actually seeing the stars. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, though, this year, the, the fairy lights are doing my head in. They make me feel extra nauseous and dizzy. Yeah, it's that weird light sensitivity. Yeah, and I didn't have it. I've never, I haven't had it all year. And I've got it now. Anyway, so this week... We spoke to a really charismatic man. I know we say that a lot. We only find charismatic people to talk to. I think that's the thing. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) So this week we spoke to um, Dr. Toma Bronstein, who's the head of research at Bonus Bio Group, which is based in Haifa in Israel. And they're working on a, a really interesting drug or new tech cellular therapy. Yeah, cell technology, isn't it? Called... Messencure. It does have a lot of COVID applications and could possibly help people not get long COVID in the future. Um, but just really fascinating to talk to about this new type of 
medicine that aims to cure rather than manage. And I think that's the thing with the various people that we're speaking to with the sort of technology that's coming out, that it is rather than band-aid medicine, people are trying to develop things that potentially cure us. Why don't you tell us about your company and this new wonder drug that you that you're trialing? So Bonus is uh, primarily a tissue engineering and cell therapy company, a biotech company that aims to leverage uh, uh, science and technologies from the life sciences, from the biological sciences to treat conditions, but not only to treat them, but really to cure them. You know, in medicine, up until recently, the goal was to uh, manage, not to cure. This is one of the, you know, when I, when I teach students, there is something that's called the broken business model of the pharma industry. And one of the main breaks of this model is the fact that there is an unfulfilled promise from the pharma and science to the community, to the society, and this promise was made somewhere in the, the late 60s. It started with cancer and it started with the presumptuous uh, ideas that you can cure cancer and then you can cure HIV and then you can cure almost anything if you put enough money and enough effort into that. And we know today that in most cases you cannot cure anything. At best, you can manage situations. And this is, was the case, uh, uh, let's say, up until the introduction of advanced therapies or biotechnologies, which are really a, a groundbreaking solution in, in the way that if, if, if they work, they are really able to cure diseases. And I think the most clear example is uh, maybe the, the cellular immunotherapies for, uh, for oncological applications that there were devastating uh, uh, malignancies, that if it works for you and if CAR-T works for you, it doesn't manage the disease. It doesn't prolong your life. It cures you. So uh, uh, we're coming from that, from this niche of curing diseases by biotechnological means. So regenerative medicine and cell therapy are kind of overlapping fields which deal with engineering cells and or tissues to do some therapeutic action in the body. So before COVID, the, the company Bonus Bio Group was focused on bone tissue engineering, tissue engineering of the bones, aiming to uh, replace the standard of care for treating very large bone defects. You know that in cases, uh, for example, after trauma or tumor resection, large bone defects can form and that the only solution for that is an autologous bone transfer is to take bone from another part of the body transplant it in the defect area which instead of just fixing one thing you're actually creating a very vast damage in another area so the first thing that bonus has done and is doing in clinical work is a product called bonofil it is a tissue engineered bone that is manufactured based on the patient's own cells. We take stem cells or stromal cells from the adipose tissue of the patient, a very small sample, 
Using that, we grow live bone. Two, three weeks later, we can inject it like rubble into the gap. And a couple of months later, it's solidified and it creates a living bone. And you've actually had success with that in, in living people. In patients, yes, yes. We've already treated uh, or uh, more than uh, or almost 50 patients with that, I think, in Israel. Uh, in indications for uh, craniomaxillofacial kind of damages in the in the skull and also in also in long bones i think that one of our uh, most famous patients was a guy who was riding a, a segway he had yeah. a segway accident think how 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 trivial you know it's like starting to say someone uh, slipped on a banana right so he <laughs> had a he had a segway accident and he had eventually a, a gap of almost 10 centimeters in, in his leg. Okay, and he underwent many operations without success. He was in a wheelchair for more than a year. And then he got Bonofil. And three months later, he was jumping on a leg. And a year later, he was doing an Ironman competition. Wow. So a triathlon. So, so this is, this is Bonofil. Now, when COVID started, we already knew, and not only us, we knew that the cells that we are using to produce the bone, these are called mesenchymal cells. We knew that these cells also have immunomodulatory capability, meaning the ability to modulate and control the immune system. Now, why is that? Because these cells in the body they function as what we call ambulatory cells, from the word ambulance, right? Wherever there is a trauma, a tissue degeneration, inflammation, whatever, they come there and they support the regenerative process. They support the regeneration of the tissue, first of all, by lowering the inflammation and then by supporting the, the rebuilding and the regeneration of blood vessels, of epithelial tissues and other tissues. Now, we, we knew that. And, and now, instead of taking these cells from the patient, like we do in Bonofil, like we do in tissue engineering, we take the cells from a healthy donor, okay? Out of various reasons. First of all, you don't want, of course, to uh, bother the patient uh, in, in the COVID ward. And practically, you cannot obtain a sample from him. But more importantly, in cell therapy, and this is called allogeneic cell therapy, as opposed to autologous cell therapy, okay? Autologous is when you use the cells from the patient himself, and allogeneic is when you use cells from a healthy donor. And that the cells that you take from a healthy donor, am I right in thinking you take it from fat tissues? Exactly, exactly. So is that a complex process to remove from the healthy donor? It's just a, a, a simple byproduct of liposuction. We have the approval. We are going to liposuction to, to uh, plastic surgeon clinics. And instead of just throwing the liposuction to the garbage, it goes to bonus and we are making wonders with it. Recycling. So actually people who are having liposuction are really doing a good service to the world. Yes. You're actually sustainable. <laughs> You're a sustainable business. Yeah. <laughs> now, and the unfortunate thing about it is that we don't need a lot of liposuction, okay? It's it's not like we need one donor to treat one patient. So uh, we would have a lot of volunteers, I'm sure, to, uh, uh, to donate. Uh, because these cells... 
we can grow them in culture. We can expand them. So in fact, from a single donor, we can obtain enough doses of mesenchure to treat uh, tens of thousands of COVID-19 patients. So the donor here is not a limiting factor, which is very important when you are uh, dealing with cell therapies, because usually in cell therapies, in, in tissue, in organ transplantation, you surely understand the, the limit or the limitation is always the donor. Is this universal then? It is, it is universal, yes. So you're not going to have rejection? It's not going to have rejection. But but still, these cells will not remain in the in the patient body forever. Okay, they will remain there for up to two or three days. They will perform what they are supposed to do, and then they will be removed, which is something that is advisable and preferable because these are not your cells. We do not want them to stay there forever. When we are trying to replace a tissue or a bone tissue, we want your cells to remain in your body and continue building this bone from now until eternity, if possible. So can you can you explain that, how you put the cells in and then re- remove them? It's the body that's removing them. Is it the body sheds them? It's, 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 a, it's a natural clearance process, okay? Still, the body can uh, identify them to a certain uh, level as foreign. Okay, it's not like uh, you would have a blood transfusion from a mismatched donor, then you will get a very acute uh, rejection. Okay, but still there is a light rejection. This light rejection allows the cells to perform, but still clears them after two or three days, which is ideal for us, for, for our goal. Now, what we do is that we take these cells and before we inject them back into the patient, into the severe COVID patient, we educate them or professionalize them, meaning that we expose them to a combination of conditions that kind of mimics what these cells will encounter in the patient in the lungs, under the environment, in the environment of ARDS, in the cytokine storm, etc. So these cells, when I inject them, they are much more potent and more responsive than, let's call them, regular mesenchymal cells. Then I, I take these cells. These cells are kept in a bank and manufactured here, like, like in a bakery, you know, uh, and then they are delivered to hospitals. And then they are brought there to treat severe COVID-19 patients. And why severe? Because in these patients, the underlying cause of the disease or what controls the prognosis is the inflammation. Okay? Mesenchure treats the inflammation. It doesn't treat the virus. So it doesn't care. It's completely agnostic about the virus. So it doesn't care if it's an Omicron variant that you got infected with, or a delta, or whatever letter of the Greek alphabet. It treats the inflammation. The virus can still be active in the system at that point, but what you're treating is the effect of the virus. Yes, yes, the virus can still be active. In in, in fact, you, you probably know that the second stage of, of the COVID disease is the stage in which the viral load doesn't really matter. It's the stage in which 
already uh, uh, the poor patient has developed a cytokine storm and pneumonia and patients get discharged from the hospital even if they still have covid but they the, the doctors don't treat the covid they treat the pneumonia and they yeah. or, or they or they, tr- they don't treat they try treating the pneumonia in the cytokine they manage yeah so once these cells are infused intravenously they flow with the blood naturally very quickly they reach the lungs because the lungs are like a blood uh, the lungs are one of the major blood filtering organs of the body and they reach the lungs and they start sensing the inflammation and when they sense the inflammation they start doing what they know how to do best which is to control this inflammation and i always say sending in a cell as opposed to sending a drug, right? You can send a single drug, like a steroidal drug or something like that. But when you send a cell, it's like you're sending a whole pharmacy, not just one drug. And, and more important, it's it's also a pharmacist, not only a pharmacy, because this cell can sense the environment and can then respond according to what it feels. I'll give you another example. If you're treating a patient with dexamethasone, which is today the standard of care for severe patients, dexamethasone and steroids overall, what they would do is they suppress the entire immune system. And while doing that, you're also suppressing the immune system ability to continue fighting the virus on the periphery. So that's why most patients, even if they recover from the pneumonia, they still have the chance of developing it again because the virus is still there. Now, cell therapy, mesenchyme in particular, can deal with inflammation where the inflammation happens, not on a systemic level. So it leaves the body a fighting chance against the virus elsewhere. And what we see, what we saw in severe patients, and I'm coming to the, to the bottom line, up till now we have treated uh, 50 severe COVID-19 patients. Uh, which were characterized by oxygen desaturation and uh, diffuse pneumonia. And we saw that for these patients, we can reduce the mortality by more than 70%. I'll give you another example. The standard of care for treating severe patients is with a combination of dexamethasone and a drug called Actemra. Okay? This combination has managed to reduce mortality from about 26 to 22%. So whatever you do with the best standard of care that exists today for severe COVID-19 patients, the mortality is still around 25%. What Mesencure has done is it reduced that from around 23% in the control group to 6 or 7% in the test group mortality. And this is the 70% reduction. Now, what's more relevant to our discussion here about the long COVID is the fact that it not only reduced mortality, but it also reduced the hospital length of stay by almost half, meaning that it accelerates the healing. Okay. So apart from the clear benefits that the hospitals get, you know, by freeing up ICU and hospital beds, allowing them to better care for other patients. And of course, insurance companies, uh, payers, etc., 
are paying much less money to treat COVID-19 patients, which is always a good idea. But if we are looking from the perspective of the patient himself, when you accelerate the healing, you reduce the risk for long-term damage, right? And this long-term damage is what we call long COVID. Now, there is long COVID that comes after, uh, uh, let's call it a, a mild disease, which can be manifested, you know, in, uh, and I'm sure you know, headaches and, 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 mu- and muscle pains, etc. But there is a, a long COVID that is much worse than that. Because if, if there is a long COVID that comes after a severe disease, for example, if someone had vast scarring of the lungs, because when you have a very severe and acute pneumonia, you actually, the the lung is injured. And these injuries, if they are not healed well, they will start scarring. And this scar tissue is unable to perform as the lung tissue, which will cause these patients what's called pulmonary fibrosis, which is a lethal disease, okay? Patients with a certain level of pulmonary fibrosis have a relatively uh, a short life expectancy, as well as severe COVID can cause damages in other organs, in the kidneys, in the liver, in, in, in blood vessels, or almost everywhere in the body. So when you accelerate the healing or when mesencure accelerates the healing, it reduces the chances or the risk of this patient later developing long COVID. We see that, for example, when we are measuring parameters for uh, tissue damage in these patients, like uh, LDH, CPK, some, some blood parameters that give us an indication about what is the level of tissue damage. And we see that in these patients, we not only reduce the inflammation very rapidly, but we also stop or hold processes of of tissue damage very quickly. What is your understanding of the version of long COVID that is not necessarily attributable to severe heart damage or severe lung damage? What is your understanding of the mechanism of of the the other form of long COVID, um, which I think is hopefully what Noreen and I have? Because all of the tests come back negative. Is it an inflammation? Is it a general autoimmune response? What is that driving that in your in your understanding? It it could be that this and the other, right? I think it is it is too early. That's you know that that's the tragedy about it. I I think it is too early to determine the the underlying mechanisms of, of the long COVID. But but clearly it has an, an immunological component to that, okay? Uh, uh, it may be something like an allergy, that like a hypersensitivity that the body is developing because it has encountered the virus. Most of our autoimmune diseases and allergies, now they all have some genetic predisposition. But most of them are triggered by something. You have to have some trigger, like a viral infection, like a bacterial infection. So maybe we have encountered here a new form of a hypersensitivity or a new form of something like an allergy with unknown allergy for what yet. 
that is triggered by the virus. On the other hand, I would say that there hasn't been much time, not much time passed enough to determine that these effects will persist forever, okay? There is a reason to be cautiously optimistic about it because it is very much possible that these are very late effects of the disease, especially, as you mentioned, if you're not seeing any radiological indications about it. It's not like pulmonary fibrosis, right? These can be many late manifestations of the disease, which may eventually pass, right? Maybe it will take a year, maybe it will take two or three years, but I'm not certain that it will develop to a classical chronic disease. So if I give you a couple of theories, so one theory at the moment is that there is there has been proven in some small trials that uh, long COVID patients have microclots in their blood. A laboratory will have to put it under fluorescent light to be able to see these microclots. So not everybody's tested for this, but they've been found in long COVID patients. So it's suggesting endothelial damage. Will Men's Cure be able to deal with that, for example? So I will divide my, my answer into two. First of all, to begin with, it can reduce the risk of developing such an endothelial damage. This we know for sure. Okay, this we know because the healing is accelerated. The entire patient situation or state is improved. We know that for sure. Now, you're asking if mesencure can treat uh, long COVID. Now, I, I don't know that, but what, what I do know, what I do know from the literature is that these kind of cells or mesenchymal cells have been suggested as an option to treat long COVID as well and, and to treat uh, other conditions that are involved in, uh, in uh, degenerated blood vessels and blood vessels damage. So theoretically, is it possible? I would say that according to the literature, it is, it is a direction that is worth following. Do we have the data to support it today? I'm not sure. And I think that maybe it will be advisable. And, and I think that's what most companies and drug manufacturers are waiting today before they enter into the fields of treating long COVID is for a better understanding of what long COVID is. Because as you just mentioned, one trial uh, implies uh, uh, microclots. Now, are these microclots the reason or the consequence of, of long COVID? Yeah. And, this and, is something we talk about a lot. And the thing is, especially in, in studies that are uh, observational studies, that you are now taking populations and starting to correlate the existence of this and other signs with the symptoms of long COVID, it takes thousands of patients over countries and over years to get, you know, some, some decent, to, to wrap your head around it and to get some decent thought, even the beginning of a consensus about it. So I, I think that most companies today are still waiting for the smoke to clear before they can start addressing the, the situation of the, of the long COVID. So do you think that we'd need to have that sort of 
uh, body of evidence before we could even talk about entering trials with something like the mesencure for long COVID patients? Like in every aspect in life, there will be those who will be quick to jump into into the market or into clinical trials with with drugs and clinical trials. You know, we saw it very, uh, I would say, nicely at the beginning of the pandemic when uh, uh, everyone uh, tried uh, everything from... Uh, Hydroxychloric wine. Uh, someone of <laughs> even suggested bleach, right? Uh, a, a president of a certain country. So I, I guess that there will be those who will start entering clinical trials with certain drugs, but like like everything, you know, there there, there is a funnel, right? Uh, a, 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 a lot of debris and a lot of irrelevant things get discarded in this funnel, and eventually. What comes out is what's most effective and what can do can actually work. But Tomo, here we have here we have Emily, for example. I'm slightly a few months behind her, but she's almost at a two-year mark of suffering with long COVID. I would suggest that if your cells can help prevent long-term damage, because it's one in seven, those are the statistics that go on to develop long COVID from a mild disease. Yeah, from mild. Yes. Not just from a severe coronavirus experience, that why don't we give, as soon as everybody gets COVID, we give people these cells and prevent them from from suffering for two or three years. I mean, is that a possibility? And how much would it cost? I perfectly understand your question. And, and, and let's say if I was uh, representing here a, a pharmaceutical company which is selling uh, hydroxychloroquine for the last uh, 200 years, starting with uh, the British officers in India, which used to take it with the tonic in order to uh, prevent uh, malaria. Okay, so so if I was in that business, and so I would say, okay, why not? You know, but but cell therapies, with all the body of evidence that cell therapies are very very safe, right? It's very, very safe, but still it's an advanced therapy. It's a new therapy. I think that that me as not even a, a pharma professional, but as, a, but as a scientist, I would want to know or to understand or even to begin to have a beginning of an understanding as to why my drug is supposed to work or how it can benefit the patient. If I get a beginning of this understanding, and I'm able to uh, to convince at least myself so I can move on with it. You know, I, I think another thing is that I, I don't think that today there are animal models for long COVID. There are hardly any animal models for COVID, right? I'm one. <laughs> yeah. But, 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 but we're talking about other, other kinds of animals. I understand. You know? I understand. Other kinds of so, Sometimes doing experiments in human is easier, but uh, still we're talking about uh, different kinds. <laughs> So let's say from a scientific point of view, you know, you you say, do no harm. Okay, so I know that you will probably do no harm. But from my point of view, I always I also have to be convinced that it can do a little bit of good. And if I don't have even an animal model to test and see that that it might have an effect, I, I can I can create an animal model for vascular damage. Okay. That's not a problem. I can create an animal model for liver, for kidney damage, 
There are animal models for that for, for 30 or 40 years. But again, these are symptomatic models. And if I treat these models, I and, 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 and even I succeed, so there is an assumption here that long COVID is underlined by this, that, or other pathology. But I think cautious here is, is something uh, not to be taken lightly. And I'm sure the pharma industry will catch up. You know, eventually, eventually the pharma industry is, uh, is, is an industry, right? They only want to manage us. We want to be cured. <laughs> yeah. And they also want to manage us long term. So they want to keep selling us their products. Lucky for you, you're, you're, you both live in a country with a, like Israel with a very good uh, health service, uh, with a public health service. So uh, if they manage you uh, and you manage them back, okay, we can feel much <laughs> less, we, we, we can feel for the much less fortunate that have to write this down every, every job interview and then the insurer or the employer decides if he pays for their insurance or not. But 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 you're certainly right, and 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 I think and and I think that in the future, I don't think it will be a very very far future. I think it's a couple of years ahead. We will start seeing uh, applications of cell therapies, and in particular, I think uh, mesenchymal cell therapies in long COVID. It's not again. It's not something that we are doing today. It's not something that we plan to do in the short, in, in the near future, but it is something that I think, from my understanding of the field, it is something that the field is focusing towards. So I was quite excited when I was reading something about the mesenchyme, which says it attenuates hyperinflammatory response and um, activates immune cells. From the way that I feel about my illness, this to me seems like gold. And then you're telling me that it's a IV that the body then sheds. Where's the downside here for me? Why would I not have that straight away? Why would it not be a human trial for that? It's a very difficult question, you know. Uh... We can do a PCR test and be on the next flight. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm not sure. You'll have to wait a week because now they closed everything because of the Omicron. Yeah, and, 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 and now and, and now and now they're reopening it. I mean, is there all about side effects? Are there the, the downside is that we do not have enough information. The whole pharma business, and especially the biopharma business, is about managing managing risks. And uh, when I say that mesenchymal cells are safe, and when I say that this treatment has been administered to tens of thousands of patients worldwide for various reasons. You always have to consider that against this, the, the condition that it aims to treat. Okay? Yeah. And what you're testing it in. Yeah. You cannot talk about safety without uh, talking about uh, the fact that you're treating someone with that today. With mesenchyme, we're treating someone that has a 25% of dying. Okay, so let's assume that the risk is minuscule. Okay, now the risk is minuscule compared to 25% mortality is negligible. But even a, a negligible, you know, in, in, uh, in calculus, you learn that when you divide zero by zero, it's a very complicated equation, right? So, so you divide the zero risk 
by, I don't know, close to zero probability of having an effect, you don't know exactly what you get. I, I, I would advise cautious about it. Still. I was reading in Haaretz a couple of days ago that there's a long COVID clinic in uh, the Schneider Children's Medical Center in... Petah uh, Tikva. Yeah. Yes. And they say they're dealing with 150 kids. So these are children who possibly could have a lifetime of chronic disease. You know, maybe you should talk to your friends there. See if you can help some of these children. So I'm not entirely certain that the long COVID in children is exactly the long COVID in, in grown-ups. But still, again, I would say that, that it's, it's, it's a bit too early to determine if these children will unfortunately suffer chronic diseases uh, uh, for years. We're just pushing you here, by the way. <laughs> From what I know about cell therapies, if 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 you didn't treat the disease like in the first month or two or three months, then treating it after a year or two or three years doesn't really make a difference. It can either work or not work. Right? Mm-hmm. I'm not saying if it were it will or will not work, but I'm saying that if it works after a year. It will probably work after three years, and if it didn't, if it won't work after three years, it won't work after one year. So, Which is why I said you should give it to everybody who gets COVID. <laughs> I think we, we we are not there. Look, COVID is here for us. Uh, is is here to stay for a, for a long while. We're hopeful that we are uh, getting rid of that. You know, I always tell people that. Uh, it took for for the influenza. It took about um, I think thirty or forty years uh, since influenza vaccines were introduced until influenza became a real endemic disease. Because influenza was also a pandemic. You had pandemic flares of of influenza in in the United States, even uh, in the in the late in the late sixties or in the late seventies, I think. This, this was the last one, and, and vaccines were introduced somewhere in the 30s or in the 40s. So who's to tell that we are not all today living in the long influenza effects, right? We might all be suffering today because all of us, you know, we have a headache from time to time, and we all have muscle aches from time to time, Not, not I'm sure not at the extent or the frequency. But who's to tell we are not in the post-flu epidemia now and that we are all suffering from long-term effects of influenza and other diseases that we have encountered. So maybe you can consider yourselves lucky because you are more evolved human beings now. You are better prepared for the future, right? (laughs) We do actually often talk about how lucky we are, so... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Going back to one of your points just then, you have looked at mesenchyma in acute patients with severe lung damage, and you can see that the that lung damage is repaired. One of your points just now is you have not seen what happens, or, or I'm asking you if you have seen what happens when you use mesenchyma on historic lung damage. So if you don't treat the person in that acute phase have you seen the effects of repairing tissues subsequently 
No, no, we ha- we haven't tested it yet, uh, and I, and I'm saying yet, but th- there is a a, a good uh, let's say uh, rational behind at least testing the effect of mesenchymal and mesenchymal in general on what's called a, a pulmonary fibrosis on lungs that the damage because. The, the, after the patient is discharged from the hospital, is is left with actually scars, real real scars in the lungs, and and we all know, you know, if, if we are cut on the hand and we get a scar, so we can see that the scar tissue is not the same as the original tissue, mm. and the same applies in the heart. But uh, but we have not tested it yet. Uh, that, that's another direction. That you could look at in post-COVID, I guess. You're going to have a good good bank of people. That that's that's one option. That's one option. Although although as you mentioned, mo- most post-COVIDs do not have any radiological uh, uh, damages in the lungs. Lucky for you, yes, because uh, you know even if you're dealt bad cards, they, they are worst. Yeah. So uh, right. Yeah, absolutely. Pulmonary fibrosis. Is is not is not post anything. Pulmonary fibrosis is is pre, you know, it's it's pre partum, it's pre pre getting out of the world. So yes, so there are a lot of options. Cell therapies, you know, one of the great thing about a cell is, as I mentioned at the beginning, it's it's a pharmacy, and it it can treat this, it can treat that. The only thing to do is to know to put the right cell in the in the right patient. Uh, and this combination is it just that one treatment that is it one iv treatment that that provides that entire pharmacy it's just one iv treatment yes but but for example in in allogeneic cell therapy you cannot administer the drug it it can't be a treatment for chronic disease okay it can only be a treatment for an acute condition because you get two or three chances maybe four because after that, the body will start recognizing these cells as foreign and will be done with them much faster. So the, the response or, or the effect will be much, much, much smaller. Treating with, with allogeneic cells, for example, mesenchyme is injected three times to the patients, day on, day off, meaning in, in, in four or five days, they finish the entire course. Wow. But I wouldn't use it to treat a chronic disease, right? Even if it's, let's say, if 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 lo- if long COVID turns out to be something like like an a, a, an allergy, like a hypersensitivity to something that is already in the body and the virus just triggered it, so 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 I couldn't treat it with cell therapy because I'm unable to treat the underlying cause. But if the underlying cause is somewhere. Inflammation hiding, maybe. Interesting, huh? Very interesting. Uh, what trial are you doing now at the moment? Are you still in trial phase? Yeah, so we are now concluding the, the phase two of mesenchyme in the severe patients. And uh, we are moving forward uh, both towards phase three and seeking uh, uh, emergency uh, use authorization in Israel and hopefully in uh, other places. It's a nice idea to be able to fix people before they get too sick. Yes, yes, we're we're trying. Yeah, amazing. I learned it from my wife. <laughs> <laughs> and are you looking at trials of mesenchyme for treating other 
diseases as well or is it something specifically that you developed for for covid it's a possibility i cannot i cannot really expand on that you know top secret. The, the the downside <laughs> is that bonus is a, is a public company and everything i i say should be you know uh, very strictly measured but uh, but i would say that it is uh, an area of great interest to us yeah yeah i can say it multiple uses fantastic Listen, thank you so much. This has been really informative. Thank you very much. Um, it's really nice to speak to people working kind of at the cutting edge. Thank you. And I and I hope you guys are feeling better. Yeah, fingers crossed. Although this doesn't necessarily give us any answers for long COVID sufferers tomorrow. I just think that the landscape of what we can show people in terms of the technologies that are being developed, it it, it, it is ultimately going to make a massive difference because we're not just all going to be given a a painkiller to try and sort our problems out hopefully 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 again it's it's one of those weird things where we seem to know more about long covid than some doctors in our not post-hospitalized version of it but there are people who do have long covid who suffered because of an acute COVID infection and those people should also be within our group I think. It's quite clear from this interview that we probably know much more detail about the symptoms of long COVID, the different POTS and um, cardiac issues and skin problems. And the heart issues and things that are not necessarily caused by the scarring of a very severe acute phase, but it is nonetheless massively debilitating for people to, to live through. But the brilliant thing is, is that if this drug proves to be as successful as some of his study group, that it might stop people getting on COVID in the future. Join us next week as we hear others' experiences of long COVID. Share your stories and questions at tlcsessions.net. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram for the latest updates. And if you found this interesting, please do subscribe.